Faye, our friends over at Rosh Review have a special deal that they're offering for um, residents out there. So if you like access to Rosh Review, you and your friends can come together and get a group discount. So if you have at least seven of you and your friends and want to get this discount, you can come together and chat with Rosh email them, and you'll also get your own subscription for free. All the members of your group on top of this will get free access to a new mock ABOG qualifying exam, which is 200 additional ABOG formatted questions that's set up like the actual ABOG qualifying exam. That's your written boards. That's $119 value. So if you and your friends want to have access to Rosh, go ahead and go onto our website where we'll put a link and uh, you'll be able to sign up right there. All right, Faye. So one of the things that I'm really excited about is this recently released CHAPS trial. And I saw on the OBG project that they've got a great summary out already. Yeah. So if you want to keep up to date to all those studies that are coming out, not only at OBGYN, but also other practice changing studies and other specialties, make sure you go onto the OBG project and sign up so that you can keep up to date. Fourth year residents can get the premium project, OBG First, absolutely free. It allows you to create your own library, save resources for you to be able to access later, as well as see something like the second trimester ultrasound atlas that lets you get brushed up on all those images that are going to show up on your written boards. And of course, if you are a resident in general, you can get their core curriculum uh, on their website. So make sure you go ahead and go onto our website to figure out a little bit more about how to sign up for the OBG project and also how to sign up for OBG First. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is Creogs Over Coffee. So Nick, today we're going to cover an episode that is hugely important. And I can't believe we're like, you know, almost, what, three and a half years into making this podcast and we somehow haven't covered it. But we're going to talk about postpartum care today. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Um, And maybe it is sort of a mental commentary about how this fourth trimester can sometimes just get totally forgotten about. But I'm so happy that we're covering it now. So for learning objectives today, we'll first understand the importance of postpartum care. Um, We'll review the different components of postpartum care, discuss optimal timing for the transition from intrapartum to postpartum care, and then we'll start the revolution and tear down our current systems that don't prioritize maternal and infant well-being. Um, uh, well, I, we wrote that out as an objective, but I don't know if the podcast is going to get to that, Faye. No, I don't think so. Maybe just some like personal life goals or something. <laughs> so we're taking a lot of this from ACOG Committee Opinion 736 on optimizing postpartum care if you need something to read along today. Faye, I guess we revealed our biases there from the start, um, but let's actually prove it. Why should we care about postpartum care? Well, I think other than the fact that it is part of um, our patients' life and part of their health in general, we know that the days and weeks following birth are critical for our patient as well as the infant's well-being. We know that there are multiple physical, social, and psychological changes that happen for our patient. We know that they need to recover from you know, the traumas, both physical and emotional, um, from their delivery, either vaginal or cesarean. They're going to be faced with things like challenges of breastfeeding. They have things like 
like lack of sleep, fatigue, pain, stress that are all kind of um, weighing down on them. And then now they have these new or even like exacerbations to mental health disorders that we know are associated. And then on top of all of this, they may be dealing with urinary or even anal incontinence. So these are so many things that are changes to our patients' lives. It's, you know, a wonder that we don't spend more time talking about postpartum care. The challenges, of course, um, to postpartum care is that there is fragmented care between the pediatric and obstetric care providers, right? We know that, you know, babies, when they're first born, they get seen super frequently. They get seen in the first two days of life while they're in the hospital. They get seen again at day three to five of life. Then, you know, depending on if they're a well baby or if they have some other issues, you know, they'll be seen at one month, two month, four month, six month, nine months, and then 12 months. And if there's other complications, there's going to be more visits. Compared to, you know, when we see our patients, we send them home after they leave the hospital once they're done giving birth. And then we see them at four to six weeks. And then we kind of just say, bye, (laughs) go back to your primary care provider, right? There's this initial lack of attention to maternal health needs. More than half of pregnancy-related deaths occur after the birth of the infant. And so, you know, we really aren't catching our patients in this vulnerable time if we're just seeing them at four to six weeks postpartum. And instead of this ongoing care that they may need in this time, we have fragmented one or two time visits. As you can see, this is something that gets me a little bit worked up, but I do think that it's important for us to recognize this. And with that, Nick, I'm gonna let you talk about our call to action as well as ACOG's call to action. (laughs) Yeah, and I think, you know, to sort of frame this call to action too, and also justify like what ACOG wants to do in increasing awareness and care in this fourth trimester, we should start off with what exactly we currently have for postpartum care. And you mentioned a little bit, Faye, you know, we have that four to six week postpartum visits. That's just sort of the one time uh, well mom visit at that point. Um, We've talked before on the show about postpartum depression, but we really just do kind of that sort of one or two time assessment in the standard being the Edinburgh um, postpartum depression screen. We typically administer that in the hospital and gets administered again at four to six weeks again at that postpartum visit. Uh, But that's a lot of time in between to, to miss depression and bluesiness in that first month after birth. With COVID as sort of layered on top of this, um, we're also sort of not having family members or other folks come to postpartum visits. Some places may not even allow the infants to come into postpartum visits. And so that's also really, really challenging just psychologically and socially for our patients. Another thing with this that, you know, many pregnant patients receive their health insurance through state Medicaid programs, but in many states, this insurance coverage stops at six weeks postpartum. So we're seeing patients, you know, at the day of discharge, we see them once more at that four to six week point, and then we kick them off their health insurance and we can't even transition successfully to primary care after that. Let's also kind of mention the fact, too, that the U.S. is one of seven countries in the entire world that doesn't have paid maternity leave. Frankly, I know we have it in the notes as sort of a joke, but WTF, really. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) On average, countries across the world that provide paid maternity leave actually pay 77% of previous pay. So again, it's not just like a pittance that they're providing. That's like three quarters of their income. Mm -hmm. The U.K., as just one example, provides paid maternity leave a minimum of 
39 weeks, like a whole other pregnancy worth of paid maternity leave. Most places, though, have a minimum paid maternity leave of 12 weeks to a full year. On average, across the globe, that paid maternity leave is around 29 weeks. And for paternity leave, the average is around 16 weeks. We've got a nice map from the New York Times that we'll post on the website, too, um, just to show you what things look like across the globe um, in terms of paid leave for, for new parents. All right, so we sort of talked about what the system looks like, Faye, but what does this kind of result in ultimately? Yeah, so as you can imagine, by not really supporting parents, this really will result in worse care. And the first thing that it leads to is less attendance of postpartum visits. If you don't have any paid maternity leave, then most likely you're not going to want to use your accrued family leave or sick days for your appointment. You're probably going to want to stay at home with your child and have that bonding experience. And also, that means that you also may not be able to find someone to care for yourself, for your other children, or for their newborn to go to your appointment if for some reason, you know, with COVID now, we're not letting other family members or letting the infant come with them. And this results in as many as 40% of patients not going to that one postpartum visit that they do have. The scary statistic here too is that 23% of employed women return to work within 10 days of being postpartum in the United States, which I can't even imagine. And an additional 22% are going to return to work between 10 to 40 days postpartum. So you can imagine again that we just don't have that support system in place for um, a new parent who is going through all of these new mental, social, and physical changes. We also know that with this decreased emphasis on postpartum care, that there's less anticipatory guidance. Um, so with decreased time during pregnancy, you know, one due to COVID, and also with not going to postpartum visits and not having postpartum visits soon enough, um, on a national survey, less than half of patients attending a postpartum visit reported that they received enough information about things like depression, birth spacing, healthy eating, importance of exercise, changes to their sexual responses and emotions. And you can't really blame the providers. If you really only have that one visit to talk to patients, how can you possibly fit all of those things in? And then in randomized controlled trials, um, 15 minutes of anticipatory guidance only before discharge, followed by a phone call at two weeks, reduced symptoms of depression and increased breastfeeding duration through six months among black and Hispanic women. So we don't even need that much time, um, but we do need that time with um, our first time or even um, many time over uh, new parents. We know that because there's less care, because we're kicking these patients off of their insurance after six weeks, this is going to lead to more maternal morbidity and mortality. And so what we want and what ACOG wants is for the timing of postpartum visits to be individualized and patient-centered. Also, the initial assessment should be within three weeks postpartum to address some of these acute issues and follow this up with ongoing care as needed, meaning a well-woman visit like no later than 12 weeks after birth. Um, and insurance should allow for this care, meaning don't take it away after just six weeks of being postpartum. Thankfully, there is the American Rescue Plan Act, which allows states to extend Medicaid coverage for pregnant patients from 60 days to one year postpartum. So that is at least a little bit of a remedy. Um, and as of this month, it currently is in effect only for 13 states. 14 states and Washington, D.C. do plan to implement a 12-month extension. Um, and four states have limited coverage extension approved or proposed. Um, and four states on top of that have pending legislation to seek federal approval. So at least it seems like there is some change to increase the timing um, of that postpartum care. So I'm going to get off of my soapbox now, <laughs> but let's kind of dig into this a little bit deeper, Nick. So what should we be doing then for postpartum care? What entails good postpartum care? In the committee opinion, the, the authors at ACOG really propose um, 
a huge paradigm shift with respect to, to postpartum visits and actually start this really, really early on, beginning anticipatory guidance about the postpartum period while the patient is still pregnant. So things that should be included in that are things like developing a postpartum care plan, which is really interesting, actually. And there's a great table out of the practice bulletin about a lot of the things that we should be thinking about that you may just not think that frequently about for your patients, just with the busyness that you have that, you know, in those late 30-ish week visits may be a good time to do it. So talking about, you know, what postpartum visits should look like, what feeding, contraception, reproductive plans should look like talking about future pregnancy complications or adverse pregnancy outcomes, thinking about mental health issues, thinking about specific postpartum problems like things for stress urinary incontinence or dyspareunia, a really, really a ton of info in that table of things that you can start to include as part of a postpartum care plan. More specifically within this though, let's talk reproductive life planning obviously is one big thing that we should always be talking about with our patients um, while they are pregnant, reviewing their desire for future pregnancies, counseling about pregnancy spacing to avoid short interval pregnancy within six months of delivery, and discussing risks benefits of pregnancy sooner than 18 months after a prior delivery, and again talking about contraceptive options that are appropriate for the patient. One other thing that's important about this early anticipatory guidance is also building a patient's support system. Think about, you know, the times where you go through a whole pregnancy with a patient, maybe you get some sense of like just some social support issues at home, but you never really like put a finger on it. And then you get to postpartum day one or two in the hospital after the baby's born and discharge gets held up because there's some concern about parents being able to care for the infant at home because lack of resources or support, et cetera. Uh, that's not an uncommon scenario for people who practice um, in residencies across the United States. And I think, you know, if we just think about this a little bit more antenatally, we may be able to prevent some of that pain and discord postpartum. So get social work involved if needed. Talk with the patients about who's providing social and material support. Um, identify people who the patient can call with questions or problems. Like they're, again, yourself as an OB provider, provider or psychiatry, pediatricians, lactation supports, case managers, um, and really develop a list of phone numbers or other contact information that you can help patients kind of figure out their way after the baby is born or start to get some of those resources in place before the baby is born. The next phase that they talk about in this committee opinion, Faye, is sort of the transition from mm -hmm. intrapartum to postpartum care, so that early postpartum period. Yeah, absolutely. And this period is really critical because the early postpartum period contains substantial morbidity for patients. ACOG specifically outlines a few things. So one, if that patient has some blood pressure issues, then blood pressure evaluation should occur no later than seven to 10 days postpartum. Great studies have been done regarding postpartum blood pressure checks via text message. It's easy for both the patient and the clinician. So um, that is definitely something that we can think about, especially in the time of COVID. Decreases the usage of emergency rooms when you check in with your patient. And also, those with severe hypertension really should be seen within 72 hours um, or evaluated at least within 72 hours, um, either via text message to get their blood pressures to try and, again, catch some of those bad things that could happen in that initial postpartum period. In-person follow-up earlier should also be considered for patients who have certain complications with their delivery, so people who have had C-sections or perineal wound infections. Um, even patients with lactational difficulties or chronic conditions like seizures, for example, that may require some type of med adjustment postpartum because those are patients that you probably have gone up on their medication during pregnancy. 
The WHO recommends follow-up of all women and infant diets at three days, one to two weeks, and six weeks. And we really are not following that guideline by the WHO in the United States. And based off of this ACOG recommendation, the first contact should happen within three weeks. And this doesn't have to be in person. Again, this could be telehealth. It could be via phone. But really what this does is it helps us set up postpartum care before that six-week period. And ways to help us do that is to try and make sure that we have a postpartum appointment while the patient is in the hospital or even before they go in to give birth um, to try and make sure that that is already in place. All right, Nick. So I think the you know uh, last um, thing that this committee opinion talks about in terms of postpartum care is the overall components of postpartum care. So what are those things that we need to really be addressing in this postpartum period or even before? Yeah. So again, the committee opinion is really, really solid. If you guys don't have it open, I would encourage you sometime after listening to the podcast today to open it up and take a look because um, there's a box out of that, one of those special ACOG boxes that breaks down postpartum care into just a number of components. Those components include mood and emotional well-being, so doing things like screening for depression, providing guidance about mentoring and support, screening for substance use, and following up on mental health disorders and confirming attendance at mental health-related appointments. Considering issues with infant care and feeding, such as care just directly of the newborn, that the child is set up for their pediatricians, having child care for other children at home, and then also specifically things surrounding feeding of the baby and confidence with breastfeeding if the patient is doing that. The next component is sexuality, contraception, and birth spacing, so kind of what we talked about earlier um, with respect to assessing patients' desire for future pregnancy, desire for contraception, um, and reviewing recommendations about pregnancy spacing. Sleep and fatigue is another one that, again, trying to help discuss and assess coping options for the sleep disruption that comes along with a newborn baby. Physical recovery from birth, then chronic disease management, and health maintenance, which sort of all-encompassing kind of think about sort of the immediate recovery as well as the chronic recovery and transition to primary care. Um, it's just a really nice framework, I think, and even a good way to kind of structure your postpartum visit notes, frankly, to make sure that you're just doing a comprehensive evaluation of the patient. Before we sign off today, Faye, I want to talk about two more issues that were raised in the committee opinion. One that is just kind of a special issue surrounding birth trauma, and secondly, surrounding the transition to ongoing care after they're done with their obstetrician. Yeah. So um, let's start with birth trauma. So I think the one thing to take away is that trauma is in the eye of the beholder. And so many times we as healthcare providers may not even be aware that our patients um, experience some type of trauma because maybe to us, we said, oh, that was a pretty normal vaginal delivery. But uh, that may not be what the patient experienced. So it's important to allow patients to ask questions about their labor and childbirth course and review any complications during that postpartum visit. Complications especially should be reviewed. How could they be best avoided in the next? pregnancy if possible. So for example, if the patient had a preterm birth, how do we reduce that? If they had preeclampsia, how do we reduce the risk of that? And then, of course, um, referral to support groups and mental health care specialists as needed. Specifically, if the patient has had a pregnancy loss, it's always important to review their labor and delivery course before you actually see them that day. And I know that sounds really, really basic, but there are times when you know people miss that someone has had a C-section and they completely forget to check for the C-section scar or 
or even that someone has had a pregnancy loss and the patient comes in and you say congratulations to the patient, right? Like how horrible is that? Hmm. Um, so again, it's important to make sure that you give the patient emotional support and bereavement counseling with referrals as appropriate, review labs and pathology from the loss, and then also order, uh, order other labs if you need to, um, for example, to assess for the reason for a possible stillbirth. And for guidance for that, you can always go to our stillbirth episode. All right, Nick, so the very last piece then of today in terms of postpartum care, and I know we've gone through this super quickly, is transition to ongoing care. Yeah, so you mentioned earlier, Faye, the recommendation from ACOG that we transition to well-woman care within 12 weeks. And really, in order to facilitate a successful transition, you want to make sure of a couple of things. But I think primarily something you want to look for is a good transition for prescriptions and contraception if needed. So be specific. Write out in your notes and recommendations what you are prescribing or continuing for the patient. And sort of one of the biggest issues is that patients lose access to birth control all of a sudden because their OBGYN or midwife is not seeing them anymore. Or similarly, you know, if you're an OB and you start a patient on an antidepressant, they suddenly don't get a script anymore because they're not postpartum. Make sure that you help patients get appointments to PCP, mental health, or specialty care as appropriate, and really focus on that transition point. Again, if you're prescribing something or you're wanting your patient to continue something in that postpartum period, be proactive, be prescriptive about what they should be doing. So that way another physician or midwife or someone picking up your note can look at that and say, okay, I get it. Dr. Burns says this. All right, Faye, I think that I, I don't know if we've covered the entirety of postpartum care, um, but Probably I think not. that we've really <laughs> tried to paint a whole picture of what postpartum care should look like. But let's try and summarize really quickly. Yeah, so we started off the episode talking about, you know, the importance of postpartum care because of all the different changes that are happening to our patients. And then we also reviewed some of those challenges, things like the fragmented care between pediatric and obstetric care providers, the fact that we don't see our patients until four to six weeks postpartum, and also just the fact that the U.S. is one of seven countries in the entire world that doesn't have paid maternity leave, um, and also... Uh, kind of kick some of our patients off of their insurance six weeks postpartum, all of which can lead to a lack of access to care and poor outcomes for our patients in general. Really, in terms of a new paradigm of postpartum care, we should be timing postpartum visits to be individualized and patient-centered. We should really assess the patient within three weeks of delivery to address acute issues and follow up the initial visit with ongoing care as needed and transition patients to well-woman care no later than 12 weeks after birth. Insurance should start to allow for this care and not take it away after six weeks, and 13 states have already extended Medicaid coverage to one year postpartum, with many other states and territories trying to implement the same. In terms of postpartum care in general, it should really be broken up into three specific components. The first of which is uh, anticipatory guidance, even in prenatal care, to develop a postpartum care plan, reproductive life planning, and building a support system. We then discussed intrapartum to postpartum transition, where we want to make sure that we are seeing our patients in that early postpartum period, because that's where substantial morbidity occurs. Things like checking in on blood pressure evaluation, patients who have had birth complications, as well as, again, making contact within that first three weeks. We talked about sort of a good components of postpartum care framework. Those headings, again, are in the committee opinion, but include mood and emotional well-being, infant care, sexuality, contraception, and birth spacing, sleep and fatigue, physical recovery, chronic disease management, and health maintenance. 
We did a special note about birth trauma, and the things to remember is that trauma is in the eye of the beholder, but it is important to go over with your patient their labor and delivery course and talk about complications and possible ways to prevent them. The last component of postpartum care that we discussed was transition to ongoing care, so making sure that you're referring the patient to well-woman care within 12 weeks and making sure that you're giving your recommendations to the incoming provider about what prescriptions, et cetera, should be continued. All right, Faye, I think that does it for today. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoy this episode or any of our other episodes, go ahead and go onto your favorite podcatcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at Creogs Over Coffee 1, on Instagram and Facebook at Creogs Over Coffee. Or if you love the show, head over to patreon.com slash Coffee. Send us some love and we'll send you some swag. We'll have show notes as well as some of those boxes that we talked about from the ACOG Committee Opinion, as well as notes for all of our other shows posted on our website, as well as the Rosh Review Question of the Week. That's going to be at www.creogsovercoffee.com. If you have a correction for this episode or any of our previous episodes or just want to say hello to us, email us, creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.